The following message was recorded at Fountain of Life Fellowship in Fountain Valley, California. For more information, please go to www.folfcrc.com. Scripture reading today is from the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, verses 8 through 16. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that was to be received as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he is looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man, and him as good as dead, were born descendants, as many as the stars of heaven, as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. We've been going through a long series uh, on what we're saved to as Christians, the life we have in the Holy Spirit, and I was thinking as, as I was summing this up, you can't finish a series on what we're saved to without talking about heaven, because if you're not saved to heaven, what are you saved to at all or anyway, right? So this is really where all this is going. What did God save you to ultimately? Well, you talk about forgiveness, you talk about the fruit of the Spirit, you talk about telling people the gospel, yes and yes and yes, but really, where's it all going? What's it all for? Heaven trying to get you to heaven, get a lot of other people to heaven. What? We're, we're saved to heaven. So I'm going to spend just two weeks on this. Obviously, there's a lot I can't cover, just two weeks. But uh, next week, I'm going to talk about the difference between the two heavens. Did you hear that? And if you're like, what are you talking about? Well, that's the teaser so that you'll come back <laughs> next week. Okay? Uh, by the way, if you haven't sent me a question yet and you still want to, there's still time. Please do. You can send it to my email or you can tell me after the service. That'd be fine. Uh, but this morning, I want to think about the longing for heaven that believers need to have. The longing for heaven that believers need to have. You should be longing for heaven. I should be too. Uh, to live this, in fact, to live this life as we should, we need to have a strong anticipation of the next. So some people will say, have you ever heard this? Uh, they're so heavenly minded, they were no earthly good. You know, you're off quoting Bible verses and going to church services. You don't do anything to make a difference. Well, I get what they're saying with that phrase, but I don't think those people were actually heavenly minded if they weren't doing any earthly good. The reality is the opposite. To do any earthly good, to live this life like you should, like the Bible calls you to do, you're going to have to be heavenly minded. It enables life in this earth. Look what C.S. Lewis said. He's one of the best thinkers, I think, on this idea of heaven. 
I got a slide for this, I think. It's kind of long. But begin here. Look, Lewis says, if you read history, you will find that the Christians who did the most for this present world are the ones that thought most of the next. The apostles themselves who um, set set out on foot in the conversion of the Roman Empire, the English evangelicals who abolished the slave trade, all left their mark on earth. Why? Be precisely because their minds were occupied with heaven. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this one. Aim at heaven and you'll get the earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you'll get neither. So my point so far is just this. To really live the life God calls you to, you need to have a longing for heaven. Uh, But if you're... uh, Do you remember what longing is? You ever long for something? It's a... What is it? It's a deep... It's almost a painful desire for something. Longing for something. So... Uh, your loved one is sick. What do you long for? I just I want him to get better. How bad do you want it? So bad. And you've got a taste of it, right? Oh. Or, or a relationship. You're longing for a relationship that you don't have or one that you do have to be reconciled. You just wish, ah, if only, right? If only. Uh, You remember what it's like, right, to long. It's this idea that you imagine how great something would be, and you want it so bad it's almost painful. You're excited about it, or you grieve that you can't have it. So I'm saying, and I think the Bible is saying here, that we should be longing for heaven. Ah, if only. And really, as we go through this text, I think you're going to see that in all of your longings, you already are longing for heaven. What you're longing for here is really just a longing for there. So, Christians need to long for heaven. Uh, Okay, if you're like me, how many for you longing for heaven is hard? It's not something that's on your mind very often. In fact, if you were going to make a list on your longings, you might have forgot to put heaven on there. Um, Or, heck, when I was a kid, I was not all that excited about heaven. Anybody else ever feel that way? Am I the only one? You're like, well, it's better than hell. (laughs) Okay, listen, we need to long for heaven, but it's hard because we have so many wrong assumptions about heaven. That's what's been hitting me as I'm studying through this. We have so many wrong assumptions about heaven. Let me give you two two things that kind of give us faulty assumptions about heaven. So I'm thinking about reasons we don't long for it. Here's one, okay? Okay. Platonic superstition, Plato. Now, what did Plato say? Plato's idea was that the material world is bad. So your body's bad, food is bad, sex is bad, it's bad. Good stuff is spiritual. So a huge dichotomy. Spiritual's good, physical is bad. Therefore, when you think of heaven being spiritual, what do you think of? Anything other than material and that tends to be anything other than that you usually take pleasure in. So, anybody ever read The Far Side by Gary Larson? Those were my favorite. The guy is so sarcastic and cynical, just like me. I want to show you one. Look at this one. <laughs> okay? There's our platonic superstitions about heaven. 
So there, there he is, right? What physical things does he have there? Nearly none, okay? Uh, what spiritually stuff does he have? Oh, he's got it all, right? His white bathrobe. Didn't you read about the white robes in Revelation? So we're all going to wear white bathrobes like a, like a two-bit Christian play, right? <laughs> a white bathrobe, what else does he have? Oh, he's got his wings, right? You go to a funeral. Oh, I'm so excited, but they got their, their wings. Wings? Oh, he's got a halo, okay? And he's sit, what is he doing? This is what we do in heaven. We sit on clouds, like on them, okay? And how does he feel? He's bored out of his brains. I wish I brought a magazine. Now, that is all platonic superstition. There's nothing, there's nothing of beauty or material or things as humans we like to see and do with bodies. It's all super spiritual. And how do we feel about the super spiritual? I guess it's better than going to hell, right? Is it, anybody else ever struggle with these things? You have that kind of like assumption in your mind of like, oh, yeah, I did kind of think that about heaven. Well, by the way, that's not true, okay? It's not true. It's not what the Bible says. If you believe that about heaven, that's not the real heaven. You know, on the flip side, when we think about platonic superstition, there's this urban legend that hell will have more of what we're looking for. You ever hear Mark Twain say you go to heaven for the climate and you go to hell for the company? Right? There's an urban legend today. You see enough commercials. It's the interesting people. They're in hell, and they're partying with the devil. Right? So that's where you find the truck sticker ladies. You know who they are? You've seen those trucks, right? The silhouette. Of, she's real sensual, and she's got, what does she have? She's got horns and a little tail. And in hell, the, the truck sticker ladies are serving Bud Light, you know? Um, and you think, hey, it's a little warm here, but at least we can shoot pool with the cool people. That is not what the Bible says about hell. It's not what hell is going to be like at all. We have these superstitions sometimes in our culture. Maybe they're in our hearts. So, so we're less excited about heaven than we should be, or maybe we're not excited about it at all. But, uh, but I want you to see that that is all of those assumptions. that we, we have to be de-educated when it comes to heaven sometimes. Those are not Christian assumptions. They're not biblical assumptions. Um, they're superstitious. So that's one, superstition is one thing that keeps us from longing for heaven. The second is materialism. Materialism. So materialism says this world is all there is. So if you're a strict atheist, well, this world is all there is. There is no heaven. It's just a superstition for y'all weak religious people to help you feel better because you can't handle life's problems. Okay? That's what they say. So most of us, I assume, were not strict atheists. So you wouldn't say, well, this world isn't, you wouldn't say this world is all there is. But every Christian, including myself, we struggle with practical atheism. Okay, you have moments in your life where there is no God. You don't look to him. You don't think about him. You've forgotten about him. You got to do this yourself, right? And sometimes we think, well, we wouldn't say this world is all there is, but we might feel that when it comes to pleasure and joy, this world is all there is. In other words, I got to get my happiness now. This is my chance, not later. So, you know, we have the thought that heaven sounds okay, but we'd rather go to Hawaii. Anyone? Or we're like the, the Christian young man who's like, Jesus, please don't come back until after I get married. You know what I'm saying? Because he knows what heaven really is. 
Is it going to be better or worse? Where are you going to get your pleasures? You know, we, we think, maybe we imagine heaven as the longest, boringest church service. And so you got to sing and sing and sing. And a few of us are like, I'm cool with that. Let's sing. But some of us are like, please, Lord, no. Do we all have to wear the same clothes and wave palm branches and sing forever and ever and ever? So if I want to taste or touch or eat or be excited, I got to do it now. I got to make my memories now. Materialism, now. Now's, now's where it's at. Heaven will disappoint me or get in the way of that. Do you have that in your heart anywhere? That now is where it's at. That's materialism. You might want to check that. That's not true. It's not what the Bible says. So, so my point with this introduction is, don't let yourself not long for heaven because you've believed in a fake view of heaven. So when you look at your heart and you say, I, I don't feel a longing for heaven like I should, well, the next question should be, why? What do you think it will be like? What do you think it will not be like? Don't let yourself not long for heaven because you have a fake view of heaven. Because we need to long for heaven. That's what's challenging me about this text. To live, this, to live the Christian life with the strength and the courage that we need, we need to long for heaven. So we're going to see that here in the book of Hebrews. You remember, Hebrews is written to Christians who are under immense persecution for being Christians. So in this letter, it's referenced, they had their property plundered. So if you can imagine that, you go home today after church, your house is burnt out, all your stuff is gone because you're a Christian. What's the pressure after that? I mean, you really got to ask yourself, right? Is this worth it? Is this worth it? That's the question for this audience. Uh, they're and the author is trying to encourage them, motivate them to endure with the strength and the courage that they need. And he's basically saying in this passage, the way to do that, the way to endure through hard times, through persecution, is to have a longing for heaven. So that's what I want to show you. Three things about the longing for heaven. Number one, I, I want us to see how longing for heaven and faith itself work together. How longing in heaven, for heaven and faith itself work together. That's important, right? Because we're saved by what? Faith. Okay? So how do these things work together? Second, I want us to think a little bit about why heaven is worth longing for. Hopefully that'll give us a little taste of it. And then number three, how do we get heaven and the longing for it? How do we get it? So how, how longing for heaven and faith work together? Two, why heaven's worth longing for? Three, how to get both the longing and heaven itself. So let's hit number one. Uh, in this chapter, again, the, the author is trying to motivate this church to, perse to persevere, even in suffering, persevere for Jesus. And he says, uh, he's, he's pushing them to endure in faith. We don't shrink back, he says in the last chapter. We, we keep the faith. And so it's only natural that in chapter 11, he starts defining what faith is all about. What is faith all about? And so we'll see an answer to that in Hebrews 11, chapter 6. That's not right. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. Okay? So let's look at it together. Hebrews eleven six. I want you to find with me three aspects of real faith. Saving faith, true faith, living faith. Three aspects. Okay? So here it goes. The author says, without faith, it's impossible to please him. That's God, of course. 
For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. So one aspect, you want to have a real faith, a saving faith, a living faith. You need to believe that he exists, okay? You need to believe that he exists, he, the God of the Bible. So we're not talking about believe in God, right? In our culture, in our country, everybody believes in God. And then you ask them what that God is like or what, okay? That's not what this verse is saying is, just believe vaguely in God. Oh, no. This verse is saying, believe that he, the God of the Bible, exists. He's real. He's revealed himself. That's the first ingredient of faith, right? So it really comes down to this. Do you get to make up your own God? Our culture wants to do that, right? Whatever's right for you. Make it up. Or people will say this all the time. I could never believe in a God who whatever. Land with me on this one for a moment. Do you believe in people who disagree with you? I could never believe in a person who would disagree with me. Do you have any friends, you know? Have you ever been married, right? Come on. Come on. And yet we say that about God. I could never believe in a God who disagrees with me. Come on. In fact, let's, let's, be, let's be assured that if there, is a, if there is a God, guaranteed he disagrees with you somewhere, right? Guaranteed. So faith is not to create a God who kind of mirrors all our desires. It's to believe in the God who reveals himself in Scripture. Secondly, okay, Hebrews eleven six. without faith it's impossible to please him for whoever would what? Draw near to God. Must believe that he exists and he rewards those who seek him. So those two things, what were they? Draw near, seek. Draw near, seek. Boy, there's, sometimes we want to make faith just the first one. I believe that he exists and then leave it at that. That's not real faith. Faith, believe that it, faith believes he exists and what? Wants to draw near and seek him. God, I want to know you. I want to be pleasing to you. I want to belong to you. I want to follow you. That's faith. Trusting faith. Do you see it? So the first one, believe that he exists. Second, draw near to God and seek him. Seek him. I'm confronted by this. Are you? Third aspect of faith here in this verse. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists. And here's key for our message this morning. And that he, what does he do? He rewards those who seek him. He rewards those who seek him. Faith will pay the cost of living for God because God is worth it. There's a reward. It's good. You'll, I'll ne faith says, I'll never be let down following Christ. It'll be worth it in the end. No matter how, how hard it gets right now, it'll be worth it. He reward, there's a reward. I'll get what's, what I'm longing for at some point. I will receive it. Do you see these three aspects of faith? What were they? Believe that he exists, God of the Bible. You want to draw near to him. You want to seek him. It reward, faith believes there's a reward. Faith believes that following God is worth it worth it. So longing for heaven is essential because 
Faith includes belief in the God of the Bible. He makes promises to us about heaven. Faith includes a desire to seek him. Where are you going to be with God forever? Where are you going to really be with him? In a way you're overwhelmed by. Heaven. I mean, are you getting enough of God right now or you want more? I mean, yeah, he's here. He's with us. We know him. We worship him. But don't you want more? I mean, I hope you, I hope you want more. Faith seeks him. Not only that, faith, the third thing, knows he's worth it. So where he's taking us is worth whatever we're going through right now. There's a reward. Do you see that? So do you see how f- longing for heaven is, is within faith itself? So we really need to long for heaven. So the author of Hebrews, he talks about faith in chapter 11. Then he gives examples of faith. And of course, you know, what are the examples of for? He's going to bring up these people who live by faith. Why is he doing this? Why is he showing us? Well, they're to encourage us, right? They're to give us something to follow, something to, to model ourselves after, something to look forward to. And, and so the author says, look at these people. They did it. You can do it. Let's go. You can make it. Look at their example. And so in verses 8 and following our text today, the author brings up Abraham. Where does the New Testament always go when, they want to talk about, when he wants to talk about faith? Abraham, right? In fact, it's pretty amazing. Who's the, the patriarch for the three major monotheistic religions? Judaism, Islam, Christianity. Abraham. He's, he's like the, the maestro of faith, living for faith. Now, he wasn't perfect. We know that. Aren't you glad? Because that gives me a spot in the room, okay? We know he messed up. But, man, he had many challenges. And God gave him incredible promises. And what did Abraham do? Believed him. And he acted upon that belief. And so we're going to see from Abraham this example. Now look, look in your Bibles. Hebrews 11, 8 to 10. Here's the heart of the passage, the, the nutshell. Hebrews 11, 8 to 10. By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out. Not knowing where he was going, by faith he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise, for he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. I'm going to sum it up for you in my words, then we'll walk through it. We're going to see here that Abraham traded his house for a tent because he longed for the city. He traded his house for a tent. Because he longed for the city. And that's God's call to us. Trade your house for a tent. And you can do that because you know you're going to receive a city. Let's go. Number one, verse eight. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out. So you remember the story, you can read about it in Genesis. Abraham was a rich man, lived in a big city, city of Ur, one of the most developed ancient cities of the world. And according to Genesis chapter 12, what did God tell him to do? Go. Leave your culture. Leave your family. Leave that old religion. Leave everything you've known and loved. Leave and go. And where did he tell him to go? Do you remember? I'll tell you later. (laughs) I'll tell you later. But go. The land I will show you. Where's that? Yeah, just go. Okay? How hard would that be? Just go. Where? Don't worry about it. What? What? And what is Abraham going to trade his house for? His house in Ur. Big house. Nice house. Abraham and Isaac, it says in this passage, they're going to live in tents. 
Tents. Would you trade your house for a tent? Okay. We like to go camping. We have a nice tent. We like to come home after we go camping because <laughs> we have a house to live in. In fact, <laughs> Katie once said when she was little, we were camping. She's like, can we go back to our house with a roof? <laughs> okay. You, you don't want to trade your house for a tent. Not, I mean, it's fun for the weekend, but not full time. Abraham traded his house for tents. How much of that land did he actually ever own in his lifetime? I think he got a grave for his wife, and that was it. Always a visitor, always a stranger. Trade your house for a tent. Why did he do it? Verse 10. Why? For. Because, okay? He was looking forward to what? A city. Why did he trade his house for a tent? Because he's going to get a city. He's going to get a city. Is that a, is that a, is that a parallel example for our lives as Christians. Look, do you remember what Jesus calls us to? Here's one example. Look at Luke 9, 23 to 25. Abraham, God called Abraham and said, let's go, leave stuff. Look what Jesus said in Luke 9, 23 to 25. And Jesus said to all, to who? All. If anyone would come after me, let him what? Deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. In another place, Luke 14, he says, unless you, unless you love me more than your dad, more than your mom, more than your kids, more than everything, you, you can't follow me. Isn't that kind of saying, leave it all? Now, don't hear me wrong. It's not literally saying, leave it all, okay? I would not be serving Jesus if I left my wife and my children for Jesus. You could all come and confront me, right? But who do I love most if I'm following Jesus? Jesus. And actually, ironically, that'll enable me to be a better husband and father than I ever would be. But that's what this passage is saying, isn't it? Verse 24, for whoever would save his life will lose it. Man, a few weeks ago, I walked to the edge of conversion with a friend of mine, to the edge. We looked over the cliff. He heard all the news about Jesus. But there was one thing in his life, he, he feels like he cannot give up on it. He can't let it go. And I'm telling him, man, that is it's tr it's trash what you're hanging on to. Let it go. I can't let it go. He feels like he can't live without this one thing that he would have to let go if he follows Jesus. Verse 24, whoever would save his life would what? Lose it. So if you're clinging to that house, this world, I got to save my life here. I got to live for now. Guess what's going to happen? You're going to lose everything. You're going to lose it. And you know what? I, I look out here, and the more elderly people with wisdom are going, yeah, that's right. Right? Yeah, that's right. We're going to lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake, so in other words, I'm selling my house in this world. I'm going to live in a tent for now. For who? Who am I following? Jesus. Whoever loses his life for my sake will what? Save it. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? And that's a rhetorical question. What does it profit that person? There's no profit. And the other side of it is, what profit would there be if you gave up yourself to follow me and then I gave you myself and everything else? How much profit? A little bit. Remember Hebrews 11:6. We believe that he rewards those who seek him. Trade your house for the tent 
because you're going to get a city. You know, the, 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 the crowd in this letter knows what it means to live in a tent because some of them had their house plundered. They know they don't belong in this, where they live. They're losing everything. The tent, the tent is that sense of you lose your reputation for Jesus sometimes. You lose your property for Jesus. You lose something for Jesus that he calls you to give up. You gave up the house, and it's the sense, I don't really belong here. Look at Hebrews eleven thirteen. 13. It's talking about all of Abraham's family, the people of faith. Verse 13. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. This is, I, don't, I don't live here anymore. I don't belong here anymore. Trade your house for a tent. Why? You need to say it, because I'm going to get a city. Look at verse 10 again, Hebrews 11:10. What's Abraham looking forward to? What motivated his entire obedience? He was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. Where are you really going to live? And I mean like live, like live it up. Where are you really going to live it up? Where are you really going to find, oh, yeah. Where are you going to find it? Christians know they're not going to find it here. Not ultimately. You're not going to find it here. And Christians know sometimes following Jesus is hard. The sufferings of life tempt us, pull us away. Or the temptations of this world, hey, it's blingy here. Find it here. Christians say, I sold that house. I'm in a tent right now for Jesus, whatever he says. Because, see, some of us, we get stuck there. We stay there. Oh, I sold that. I'm in a tent. Sad. No. Why are you in the tent now? Because you're going to get a city. A city. So this next, the next point here is the city will be worth it. I love how this text says that Abraham was looking forward to the bathrobe, the cloud, the halo, and the wings. And that's why he was able to suffer. Uneducate yourself. That's, that's junk. What, what did the text say he's going to get? What's the actual word? A city. A city. Now, don't get spiritual. Just think of a city. The most beautiful city you can think of. Think of a city. You got it? What's there? Buildings. Culture. Right? You go to city sometimes on a vacation. You see... Beauty, beauty, um, art. Is there art in a city? I mean, that's where you go to find art, supposedly, right? Um, is there music? Well, the, the city's where you find the music. What about, where are the best restaurants? You, you go to find shared community in a city. Listen, Plato wasn't alive yet when Abraham was looking forward to the city, what was he thinking of? When he thought of a city, he thought of Ur, and then something better than Ur, right? It's a city. There's going to be a city. We're going to get into that more next week. But here, Abraham was looking for a city that has, what is unique about the city, verse 10? Foundations. Foundations. 
Cities here are amazing. You ever, I mean, some of the cities of the world are just fantastic. My family got to go to London about a year ago. Awesome. Yeah, people, amazingly, people come here for vacation to see the cities we live near, right? Los Angeles, amazing. New York, they're intimidating. Culture comes from cities. You feel like, oh, these are the, the it people, right? The cool people. Where are the big universities that tell us how to think, you know? The big cities. And this text is telling you none of these cities have foundations. They're ghosts. They're empty. And we're, we're intimidated. They're amazing. But do you remember Babylon? Any Bible readers in here? What was the biggest, baddest city of the ancient world? All the natural wonders, this, that, and the other thing. Culture came out of that city, right? That's what we believe. Man, if you're anybody, you know what the Babylonians think. Science, medicine, religion, this is it. Okay, have you been to Babylon lately? Have you tried to visit? It's a beach with no ocean, okay? It's sand. It's gone. What happened to Babylon, the greatest city the world had known? Where is it now? pages of history, okay? Wait long enough, that's where every city will go. The cities here have no foundations. You know what? In this world, nothing has foundations. Nothing lasts. I was listening to Tim Keller talk about this, and he talked about how the philosophies of history have no foundation. If you go back 300 years ago, and you, and you read the, the philosophical arguments, Christianity always has its enemies, right? And so there'll be this enemy coming at Christianity, well, wait 150 years. What happened to this philosophy? Oh, that's stupid now. We know better. So now it's this philosophy, and it's coming against Christianity, okay? Let's go back to the Enlightenment, you know? Oh, modernism. Oh, well, now we know that's stupid. We're, we're postmodern now. What, what has happened to the major philosophy of the earth, all these enemies of Christianity? They come, and they're huge, and everybody's like, whoa, now we know. Wait longer. Okay? Whatever hip thing you believe right now, in a hundred years, the hip people will think you are stupid. The philosophies of our world have no foundation. Christianity keeps chugging along. Physically, there's no foundations. And what a scientist say is, what's going to happen to the sun? You wait long enough, right? It'll burn out. It's gone. It's all ending. And then you, you don't need proof of that too long. What, what's happening in your body right now? Okay? You're running out. You only got so much left. There's no foundations. Right here in Southern California, we want to cling to youthful beauty as long as we can. But guess what's happening? It will leave you. There's no foundations here. What about relationally? This is painful, relationally. I remember uh, my grandma has, fast, has, has since passed to glory, but I remember her saying, you know, how you doing, Grandma? Well, all my friends are dying. My grandpa is 97. Everyone he's known, his friends, his siblings, they're all dead. They're all dead. What's going to happen? To every relationship you hold dear, what is going to happen? We want to pretend like it's not, but it is. 
the kids are going to move out. The spouse is going to die. There's no foundation here. And don't you long in those sweet moments? Oh, I know. You ever have that haunting sense? I know this moment right now is sweet, and I know there will be a day when there aren't any of them left. It's over. It's gone. There's no foundations here. What are you longing for in that moment? I get ahead of myself. Mark Twain, he's a funny guy. I already quoted him once. He always gets a laugh. He would always mock the idea of heaven. He thought heaven was so stupid. Uh, but this is what he wrote in his autobiography towards the end of his life. It's a long quote, but he says stuff so well. I want you to hear it and see it. Let's put that up. Mark Twain, he starts with, A myriad of men are born. They labor and sweat and struggle for bread. They squabble and scold and fight. They scramble for le little mean advantages over each other. Age creeps upon them. Infirmities follow. Shames and humiliations bring down their prides and their vanities. Those they love are taken from them, and the joy of life is turned to aching grief. The burden of pain, care, misery grows heavier year by year. At length, ambition is dead. Pride is dead. Vanity is dead. Longing for release is in their place. It comes at last. The only unpoisoned gift ever had, life ever had for them. And they vanish from a world where they were of no consequence, where they achieved nothing, where they were a mistake and a failure and a foolishness, where they have left no sign that they have existed, a world which will lament them a day and forget them forever. Then another myriad takes their place and copies all they did and goes along the same profitless road and vanishes as they vanish to make room for another and another and a million other myriads to follow the same arid path through the de same desert and accomplish what the first myriad and all the myriads that came after it accomplish. Nothing. Twain did not believe in heaven. And he had no foundations. This earth was all he had. And as he began to leave it, he realized that all he had was nothing. Nothing. Are you, are you ready to sell your house? Your allegiance in this world? All your hopes and your dreams in this world? Are you ready to sell that house? Are you ready to move into the tent for a little bit? God's city has foundations. God's city has foundations. When you long for something beautiful to last and to never end, you are longing for heaven. You're longing for the city. And who's the builder of the city, verse 10? Abraham's looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. What kind of an architect do you think God is? You think all he can come up with is little, little cloud chairs for you to sit on? That's all he's got? I've been working for thousands of years. Couldn't come up with anything else other than your cloud chair and your white robe. That's it. That's all I got. Oh, here's some wings. Wings? Yeah, wings, you know. What? What kind of city can God make? Man, these cities are cracked and broken. They're human work. 
God's a different builder. What can he make? The first thing we need to see when we think about this city, look at Hebrews 11, verse 11 to 12. There's more here than what I'm going to say, but I want you to get one point. Verse 11, by faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age since she considered him what? Faithful. Is God faithful? Does he keep promises? And does he keep them better than you would expect? Is anybody going to see what God has made and go, yeah. <laughs> or are we all going to be like that home makeover show, right? Drive the bus, you know, move the, what, didn't it, move that, isn't that what they said? Move that bus. And then what do you do when you see the new house? You know, <laughs> you, you freak, you squeal, you jump, you hug, okay? Okay. What's it going to be like to see the new city? He's faithful. He keeps his promises. I want to give you a few hints about the city that help us imagine it. Look at verses 14 to 16. What these people want, people like Abraham, people of faith. I want to start with um, 16. So Hebrews eleven sixteen. As it is, they desire, look at these next two words. What are they? A better country, better country, just he suck on these two words, better country, this, the Greek word underneath the English word better here means more useful, more serviceable, more advantageous, more excellent, so when you, when you use the word better, you have an idea of something, right, and then not only do you have this idea of something, you have it better, Who's hungry? Who's, who's so excited for their bologna sandwiches on white bread this afternoon? Anybody? A few kids are like, me? It's a mustard? Yeah, okay. Uh, who wants a filet bacon wrapped? Filet mignon, okay. Right? What's food? Better. So better has some of the same quality as the first, so it's not unrecognizable or unimaginable. It's not something totally alien that you've never conceived of before. There's a similarity, right? But it's what? Better. They want a better country. So what I'm trying to tell you here is that every pure and good thing here that you've ever just purely loved and enjoyed and were thrilled by, that has been the tiniest taste, the tiniest taste of the reality that is coming. Everything there will be what? Better. Better. Infinitely better. You know, we fear that heaven is the shadow of earth. That what we have here is real and there it'll be lesser. But the reality here in this text, better country, is this is the shadow of heaven. So the real thing, the ultimate thing is in that city. And here you're just getting a little like sparkle of it. A little smell of it. It's going to be a better country, better country. Not only that, look at verse 14. For people who speak thus, the people of faith, make it clear they are seeking a, what are we seeking? A homeland. Homeland means one's native country, one's fatherland, um, a fixed home or abode, the place you're from. 
You ever been in some alien place with weirdo people and, you're, and you didn't like it and, and you thought, all I want to do is go, I just want to go home, where I'm safe, where I'm known, where I'm comfortable, I want to go home. Right now, Christian, you live in a tent and you're in exile. And when you see the shores of the next place, one thing that's going to echo in your heart and your mind is, I'm finally home. Lewis captured this so well in his uh, novel, The Last Battle. There's this character named Jewel. When uh, Jewel hits the shores of heaven, this is what Jewel says. I love this quote. I've come home at last. This is my real country. I belong here. This is the land I have been looking for all my life, though I never knew it till now. The reason why we love the old world is that it sometimes looked a little like this. We'll be going home, a better home. The city, heaven, will be a better home. I want to give you a few reasons I was thinking about a better home. Number one will be when you hit that, when you hit that next city, you'll finally be the true you. The real you. you know, doesn't the Bible use language like this? Colossians, uh, set your mind on things above. Uh, and he says, there you're seated with Christ in God. So that's weird. The, the true you is in heaven. And, and if I think about myself, what are, what are we plagued with so often? Insecurities, shames, scars of the past that we can't get over, unforgiveness, anxiety, constant anxiety, deceit, confusion, depression, and when you get to that city in your home, guess who you'll finally be in the glory of God? You'll be you, totally fixed, totally healed, totally right, you'll, you'll, you'll You'll breathe a breath and go, oh, yeah. You'll be home. The true, the true you and the better home. Not only that, you'll see true beauty. You know, the Bible talks about here, this earth is corrupted, right? It's groaning. And still, we're going on vacation, right, to the Grand Canyon. Still, I want to see the sunset over the Pacific. For a broken place, it's still pretty sweet sometimes, isn't it? Man, this is, no. This is like some, 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 some house you got to remodel, you know? There's spiderwebs everywhere. Things are cracked. It's rusted out. It's broken. It's dirty. It's moldy. When you see the next thing, man, what is the earth, the new earth, going to look like? The word I have for you is better. Better. It's going to be beautiful. And there's going to be feasting. You know, in the Gospel of John, uh, the disciples were all freaked out about Jesus after he rose from the dead. You remember one of the things he had to do for them? He's like, you guys got any fish? Such, such an anticlimactic question and, and for the resurrected Jesus, you know? Rise from, the, rise from the grave, I've defeated death and sin. Do you have any fish? <laughs> what? Yeah. And he eats it. Why? I am not a ghost. I am not a ghost. I eat. And what was this promise before the Last Supper? 
you guys, I'm not going to eat and drink until we're all there at the table. What are you going to do when you get to the city? I'm going to eat. I'm going to eat. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be beautiful. It's going to be delicious. It's going to be better. We're going to be home. Not only that, true friendship. We get a glimmer here, right? You got a best friend, somebody you love so much. But even the people I love so much, I'm not very good at loving them constantly all the time. Are you? We got arguments, we got miscommunications, we got hurt feelings, we got all these things. And not only that, these relationships end. Guess who you get to be with in heaven? Forever. God's people with no issues. No issues anymore. Real, remember a time of sweet fellowship with somebody where you were like, we're friends. And we enjoy one another, and we're enjoying this moment, and we're close. And for some of us, we just long for that to happen someday, somehow, sometime. Guess what heaven's going to be full of? You'll be home with your people. True friendship. And best of all, okay, we know what's coming. We will truly enjoy the presence of God. And really, this is, this is heaven. We'll finally learn to enjoy God in everything. That's part of enjoying God. Um, in our sin, right, what do we do with good things he gives us? We want to be like, mine. We want to get him out of the way, even make them God sometimes. To finally learn and realize that everything good in anything ever, where did that come from? That is God's goodness. And to be able to enjoy God in everything We'll be able to taste it in its full sweetness. You'll finally be in a world you're made for that's made for you because God is praised and enjoyed in every single thing we enjoy. It'll fit. You'll be so lavishly happy. And not only that, you'll enjoy God himself. You know, even we're we're Christians, we come to to the throne boldly. Uh, We come in the name of Jesus. But in this life, I, I don't know how you'd say it, we can only get so far. There's still a distance, right? I don't see him when I pray, do you? I don't, I'm not overwhelmed by his glorious weightiness all the time. What will it be to have the distance removed and to have the experience where God The risen Christ is aware of you, eyes to eyes, and you're aware of him, and you're okay, and you're drawn further in, and you're known, and you're loved, and you see, you'll be home. Look what C.S. Lewis said. He said, there have been times when I think, We do not desire heaven, but more often I find myself wondering whether in our heart of hearts we've ever desired anything else. Your home is a better country. All right, let's wrap this up. How do you get there? Back to Hebrews 11, verse 16. It says in the text, as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. They they want to be there. A longing for heaven. Therefore, this is really interesting, God is not ashamed to be called their God. So why is God not ashamed of this group of people? 
because they want to be there, and they're willing to sacrifice everything for it. And so God says, yeah, these people are mine. That's awesome, but where's the scary part? Do you want to be there? Have you always wanted to be there? Do you want him? Or sometimes you pretty in love with this world. You want your old home. How do you get to heaven? I'm aware that I cannot get to heaven based on my longing for heaven. Can you? If that was a new rule, how you got to long for it enough to get there, would you make it? I wouldn't. How do you get to heaven? Of course, the answer, it's in Hebrews, it's everywhere in the whole Bible. Look at Hebrews 10, 19 to 22. Therefore, brothers, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence, there it is again, to enter the holy places, how? By the blood of Jesus. By the new and living way he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. Since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean. I can't go over this in detail. We're broken. We don't deserve this city. We've been sinful. We've been rebellious. We've been running. Can never get to this city, the presence of God, on our own. But then there's Jesus. What did he do? What did he do for you? He made the way to God's presence through his flesh. You know, when Jesus tells you to follow me and take up your cross, die to live, he's not telling you to do something he's never done before. He, the, the living one, came to die. He was unmade. He was wrecked. He was rejected. Why? To pay that price you and I deserve, to undo what you and I have done. And when he rose from the dead, vindicated his life, his death, his resurrection, as victorious, when he rose from the dead, when he was remade, he takes all who trust in him with him. So we are dead in our sin and he makes us alive. That's true spiritually. It's true in our hearts towards God. We have new life in God through Jesus. We're forgiven of our sins when we trust in him. It's also going to be true physically. It's going to be true from this life to the next that we follow him. He's made the way. In the Gospel of John, Jesus says, you know, you're going you're to come with me. I'm going there first. And Thomas is like, how do we get there? We don't know the way. I don't know the way. What did Jesus say? I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You want to go to heaven? You want a heart for heaven. Where do you go? Go to Jesus. Go to Jesus. Through his flesh is the way. He died so that you could live. He was unmade so that you could be remade. He was cast out of the city, as Hebrews would say, so that you could be brought into the city. He was thrown out of the presence of God so that you could see the face of God. Go to Jesus. And as you go to him in faith, he washes your heart. So a prayer of mine today is, Jesus, I don't deserve to see this city. And I don't even want it like I should. Will you, break, will you take me home? And guess what Jesus is all about? Why did he come? He came to take you home. To get you to the city. 
So listen, what should you do? How do you live the Christian life? Don't pull out John Lennon, right? Imagine there's no heaven. Everybody's doing that already. This is what we get in this world. Long for heaven. Long for heaven. That's what's going to enable you to persevere, to live, to follow the Lord, to do great things here because you long for heaven and so you live for him now. Long for heaven. Let's trade the corrupted house of this world for the tent of following Jesus at any cost. Why? Because we're going to get the city, the better country forever.